You're listening to the podcast with Gateway Baptist Church, and we're diving deep into the I Am statements of Jesus. We pray that this message is a blessing to you. You can connect with us at any time at gatewaybaptist.com.au. Well, if you notice some of the street signs that we strive past, uh, maybe some you even drove past on the way here this morning, depending on where you came from, are a little ambiguous. We're not really sure what they mean. Like, like this one, for example. No one is sure, you know, what this means. We, we think it means you have to drive somewhere in the 60s. That seems to be, you know, the general uh, consensus. Or maybe uh, this next one, a little ambiguous. If you kind of get into the 70s, maybe you can break your car into a fishtail down the road. You know, it's not really sure uh, what it means. This next one's very ambiguous in Brisbane. There are, there are signs uh, like this on our roads. I drive past one uh, every day. I am yet to see a furry marsupial crawl across uh, the road in that 10-kilometre uh, stretch. What about this one? What are we supposed to do when we see this one? Speed up. Hands up for speed up. Hands up for slow down. If it's about half and half in the room online this morning, just type in the chat, identify yourself, then type in the chat, speed up or slow down. Let us know what your heart is uh, really like. What about this next one? What's the next one? What does that mean? Is that a sign for bike riders? If you put on scuba gear, you might start flying. Or is it a caution sign for drivers that there could be flying bikes coming past uh, at any minute? No one is really sure. But this next sign is a little clearer. That one's pretty clear. Not too ambiguous. One way. You can only go one way down this street. As we finish our I Am series today... I want to finish on what I think is probably the I am statement of Jesus that in our culture today is the most grating. It's, it's incredibly life-giving, but it can be grating in our culture. Jesus says something very, very clear. He says there's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to know my Father, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That statement, I can hear amens around the room, incredibly life-giving, but in our culture today, it's confusing for some. It's considered arrogant and narrow-minded for others. In a culture that values tolerance over truth, to say that there is only one way to God can actually be very, very confronting. A little bit of uh, context for the statement. Jesus actually says it on the night before he's about to die. This is his very last night 
uh, on earth and he gathers around his disciples, people that have been with him for the last uh, three years. And he says some troubling things. He, he says, I'm about to go away and where I'm going, you can't come right now. And then he says, Judas is actually about to betray me and hand me over to death. And then he says, things are going to heat up for all of you so significantly that even Peter will deny knowing me. And they're troubled. And so Jesus says in John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. But you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. That's good news. There's room for everyone. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas has got a question. He says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? That's where Jesus says these famous words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you keep reading through the passage, you see Philip and others have a few more questions, are a little bit uh, confused. But I wonder if the questions we're asking in our culture today are slightly different to the questions that they may have asked uh, back then. But there's still questions when we hear something like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You know, one of the questions our culture uh, asks today is, you know, can't there possibly be more than one way to God? Can't all religions be true? You know, can't, you know, your truth be your truth and my truth my truth, but at the end of the day, we all land in the same place? And if we do answer those questions and say, no, Jesus is the only way, then another question we got is, why would God, if he's so loving and so powerful, create so much confusion and choice if there's only one way? They're big questions, they're important questions. I'm going to do my best to uh, answer them in the next uh, 21 minutes and 45 seconds. So hang on. Jesus says, I am the way, follow me. And in our culture, you know, one of our questions would be, isn't it possible for there to be other ways? Isn't it possible for other religions to lead the way to God? And Jesus asked, you know, that same question on that same night in the Garden of Gethsemane in a different way. He says to his father, knowing what's about to come, knowing the death he's about to die, he says, if it is possible, if it's possible, if there's any other way to solve this human problem of sin, if it's possible to take this cup from me, to, to take this death that I'm about to die from me, would you please take it from me? If Jesus, uh, he says, Jesus says to his Father, all things are possible for you, if it's possible. For there to be another way, take this from me. But not my will, but yours be done. If there was another way, 
Jesus would not have gone to the cross. If there was another possible way, Jesus would not have gone through with drinking that cup of condemnation. If good works could get you to heaven, if other religions and rituals could, could make a way for you to be right with God, if, if money and status and achievement, you know, could, could make things, you know, uh, could, could create a pathway to God, then Jesus would not have needed to gone to the cross. The, the only reason Jesus went to the cross is there was no other way to solve the human problem of sin, the human propensity to sin against a holy God and to bridge the gap between sinful humanity and the holiness of God. If we go from that garden of Gethsemane back to the original garden of Eden, Adam was created, born direct of God. There was no sin and death etched into his DNA. Born of God. Adam and Eve were, were, were given a choice. Choose life. Choose to live in relationship with me. Choose to live in obedience to God. But if you choose death, if you choose to disobey, sorry, you'll choose death. That's the consequence of choosing to disobey. It was very, very clear to the first Adam in the first garden. And we all know the story that the first Adam in the first garden chose to disobey and it should have been the end of the story. But God's incredibly gracious. He's incredibly compassionate. And he chose to, to invite people into a relationship with him. And so he chose a nation to have relationship with and he chose to give them a system of worship, a way that they could atone for their sin every year through the blood of another innocent sacrifice, an innocent animal that would die in their place. And so they wouldn't die, but this other animal uh, would die in their place and they could come into the presence of God. They could worship God. They had a system of religion to, to actually know the, the presence of God. The only problem was... And when, sorry, when they disobeyed, when they chose not to follow God, God is still kind. He sent prophets and he called them to repentance. He called them back to himself. This went on and on for generation after generation. Though the problem was that the blood of bulls and goats could actually never break the curse of sin from generation to generation. That religious ritual, you know, didn't actually change the human propensity to sin. People kept turning away from God and this, this sinfulness that was etched into our DNA got passed on from generation to generation. For the curse of sin to be broken, it, it was going to take not just a prophet with a powerful message, it was going to take a different person altogether. It wasn't going to just take the blood of bulls and goats sacrificed to God. But it was going to take a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus is described in the scriptures as the second Adam. 
He's the only other person that came to earth born direct of God, other than the first Adam. He is the only other person who's come into humanity that did not have sin and death etched into his DNA. The curse of sin had not been passed from generation to generation. Jesus was born of a virgin, born direct of God. And the good news for all of us is the second Adam was better than the first Adam. Where the first Adam failed and chose to disobey God, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, was obedient to God. He lived a perfect life. And even when he was about to make the perfect sacrifice and in his humanity, he didn't want to. He wanted that cup to be taken from him. He still in that moment said to his father, not my will, but yours be done. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam triumphed over sin and death. And he became a sacrifice for the sin of all humanity. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross, the term that the Bible uses is born again. Because we are born into a, a new relationship with God. We are born into you know, a, a new victory over sin and death that Christ has won for us. The curse of sin has broken in Jesus. And as we join ourselves with the person of Jesus who died on behalf of all humanity, that curse of sin is broken in our lives. It's good news. It says this in Romans 5. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. You see, the reason why Jesus being the only way to God is hard to accept is because in our Western mindset, we've actually reduced Christianity to a set of principles to adhere to rather than a person to follow. And the reason that, that the Jesus' only way to God is because he's the only way. He's the only one who has taken on our human problem of sin and put it to death. We, we don't follow a set of principles to adhere to. We follow a person and his name is Jesus and he defeated sin and death on your behalf. And he has made a way for us to come into relationship with the holy God who created the universe. And he invites us not to adhere to a set of principles until we get to heaven. He invites us into a daily relationship today with victory over sin and death. 
If I said to you this morning, you know, I, I want you to uh, come to my place and have lunch with me after the service, you might say, like Philip, but I don't know the way. And I'd say to you, well, it's easy. As you head out the uh, car park, just turn left out the new driveway. You are allowed to go out. You're not allowed to come in, or you people from the Redlands. I've never done that. My wife may have once or twice. And uh, go out that driveway and then turn right onto Mount Gravatt Capalaba Road, then a quick left on the Mount Cotton Road. Go down Mount Cotton Road, and then you go under this enormous bridge, which cost us millions of dollars, all of us ratepayers, as for koalas to crawl over. I've driven under that bridge for 19 years. I've never seen one koala climbing over uh, that bridge. Keep going, you go through a set of traffic lights and just watch out in case not everyone's told the koalas they have to climb over the bridge and they start walking across the road. Just uh, keep your eye out for them. Keep going along uh, Mount Cotton Road. You'll get to a uh, roundabout. You go straight ahead. It's the same road, but it turns into Broadwater Road. Drive along Broadwater Road for a little bit, come to the next roundabout. Once again, you go straight ahead, but... Mount Cotton Road magically appears once again. You're back on Mount Cotton Road. Uh, you keep going down there. You turn left onto Linden Road. It's one of those roads, really, really wide. looks like you go 100 kilometres an hour, but you can only go 70. Yes, you'll get a little letter in the mail with one of those special little windows. I've never got one, but my wife has. And you keep going down yeah, that, that, that road uh, for a little bit. You come to another set of traffic lights. You go uh, straight through that set of traffic lights once again, but it changes names again. It's now Vienna Road. Then you take the third on the right, the second on the left, the third on the right, and we're the third house on the right. I'll see you there. <laughs> now, I could say that, or I could say, hey, as we pull out the driveway, just follow me. Stay close. When I indicate left, you indicate left. When I veer right, you veer right. Just stay close enough to me that you can see where I'm going. When I swerve to miss a koala, you swerve to miss a koala. When I bunny hop a cat, you, you decide. <laughs> but stay close. When Jesus says, I am the way to the Father, he's not saying, I, I want you to stick to this set of beliefs until you one day make it to heaven. He's saying, follow me. Stay close. Stay close enough that every day you know my presence. You know me leading you with wisdom. And the closer we stay to Jesus, the more confidence we have in our faith. The closer we stay to Jesus, the one who's had victory over sin and death, the greater strength we have to defeat that human propensity. To sin. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the only way because I'm the only one who has come to deal with the human problem of sin. And he says, I'm the only truth. You can trust me. We hear that and that's offensive in our culture today. We think, why can't all religions be true? Don't they all end up in the same place? Don't they teach a bunch of the same things? And on the surface, all the major religions in the world do teach some things that are similar. But 
In Hinduism, the 330 million gods and counting. You know, Buddha, he was agnostic. He actually didn't believe there was a God, a supreme being. Now, Judaism, there's one God, and Jesus is not the Son of God, and he's not the Messiah. In Islam, there's, there's one God, and it's incredibly offensive to suggest that God is one person in a trinity and that Jesus is the Son of God and not just a prophet. And in Christianity, we believe there's one God in three persons, and Jesus is the Son They're not all the same. They contradict each other. Therefore, they can't all be true. So what confidence do we have that Christianity is true, that Jesus is the truth? Now, I've only got seven minutes and 16 seconds left, so I can't go through everything. But I just want to look at three unique truth claims of Jesus that gives us confidence that Jesus truly is the truth. Firstly, Jesus was unique in the incarnation. That the God actually put on flesh and came into the world and it can be dated at a certain time in history. Biographies were written about him that were written you know, in the lifetime of those who actually saw him and walked with him. We have got more copies dated back, you know, to within a, a hundred years, you know, of Jesus walking the earth, much more than any other people recorded in history. Hundreds of copies, you know, about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus written by people in their lifetime who saw Jesus. We know Jesus was rooted in history. We know that he was born around the time that Herod was the, was the king of Judea. And we got coins with Herod's face on it. We know that he was put to death around the time that Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea. Who here knows who was the Roman governor before Pilate? A very powerful man in history. Who knows his name? I had to Google it. Valerius Gratus. Ever heard of him? What about the guy who was the Roman governor after Pilate? You don't know him either. Marcellus. Why don't you know? Because Jesus Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth, was the most famous person in the history of the world. Pilate is only known because of him. The calendar changed, you know, according to him coming to earth. He's unique in his incarnation. He had a unique impact on history. He had unique power over sickness, over evil, over the weather, over nature. He had unique power in his teaching. His still teaching has shaped the Western world. There's no one that's ever lived like Jesus. Because he wasn't just a man, he wasn't just a prophet, he was God on earth. He was unique in his crucifixion. 
I think probably tens of thousands of people were crucified by Rome. I don't know an exact number, but that's, guess, it's probably in the tens of thousands. But Jesus' crucifixion was unique. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, the sky went dark in the middle of the day, the earth shook, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. What once separated you know, sinful people from a holy God was torn in two. He was that perfect sacrifice for all time. It was a unique crucifixion. So the crucifix, even though thousands of people died for what they believed, even though tens of thousands of people were actually crucified on a cross, it has become the symbol of Christianity because his crucifixion was unique. And lastly, it's a unique resurrection. Jesus Christ didn't stay dead. He came back from the dead and it changed all of history. It changed the trajectory of our lives. It wasn't just these, you know, 12 disciples that saw Jesus alive, but over 500 people over a six-week period saw Jesus alive. If someone came to you this morning and said, during the week, I saw King Charles shopping for his coronation at the Hyperdome, you'd go, you're on drugs again. There's no way Charles would shop at the Hyperdome. He only shops at Carindale. <laughs> but if half this room, if 500 people came to you and said, I've seen Charles at Carindale over the last six weeks, you'd actually start to have to pay attention. A lot of people thought, or were worried that disciples were going to, you know, steal Jesus' body, you know, from the tomb. And so Pilate put his strongest guard, probably 16, you know, soldiers, you know, on that tomb, rolled a big stone, sealed the entrance to that tomb. But on the third day, the stone was rolled away. Jesus' body was not there. And if his disciples had stolen that body, do you think that when they're getting sawed in two or dipped in burning oil or crucified upside down, they might say, hey, 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 it's all a trick. We made it all up. These guys were martyred because they would not stop proclaiming that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and he is the true King of kings and Lord of lords. Unique in incarnation, unique in crucifixion, unique in his resurrection. Now, sometimes when we hear Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, we, we kind of hear him say, pick anything else and you're dead. What he's really saying is, no one else is coming to earth to save you. No one else is going to die in your place for your sin. And no one else has defeated the power of sin and death and made a way for you to have eternal life. Lastly, he says, I am the life, so choose me. And this is, like I'd say, the question that troubles me the most. It really troubled me, to be honest, when I was in... Um, when I was in, I can't actually say that, the nation, a Middle Eastern nation visiting one of our Gateway Beyond workers several years ago now. And as the, uh, 
the siren sounded across the city. I looked over from their balcony. Literally thousands of people bowed down in prayer to a God that they could never know personally. A God who was aloof and distant and they were never sure whether they were going to make it to heaven. I remember standing there going, oh, Jesus, if you are the only way, we've got to make more noise about you. Surely, God, there could be other ways. It really troubled me. If God is so loving and so powerful, why would he create a world where there is so much choice and so much confusion? Choice makes life confusing. You've only got to turn your TV on when you get home onto Netflix. Do you know how many choices you got? 5,087 shows you can watch when you get home. We spend half an hour just looking for the show. By the time we found a show, I'm too tired and I've got to go to bed. I want the good old days, 2, 7, 9, 10. Why create people with a need for God and allow people to believe something else and be led astray? Why not make it mandatory to believe in Jesus? Why give a choice? Why allow freedom to choose? The simple answer is there must be freedom to love. If God was most interested in you having correct knowledge, he would not have given you a choice. He would have pre-programmed your brain to believe the right things. I know this is a little controversial. Come and email me later. If God was most interested in his own glory, and God is interested in his own glory, he would not have given people a choice. Free will is not a good strategy for glory. You know, a tree, it has no choice. It just grows and is beautiful and it brings glory to God. You and I have a choice. We're created to bring glory to God, but we actually choose to hate instead of love. But if the God of the universe was more interested in a loving relationship than anything else in this world, there must be freedom to choose. There must be a choice. Otherwise, it's not love. That's why we're offered a choice. That's why Adam and Eve were offered a choice way back in the garden and they chose to disobey and they chose death. God, so kind, calls a people to himself he says this to the people of Israel, Deuteronomy 30. He says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God for the Lord is your life. He keeps going on and on and on telling them to choose to love, to choose to love him with all of their heart. Why? Why is he so insistent that they love him? Kind of makes God sound like some sort of stalker. Love me, love me, love me. He says, because I am your life. He's not saying love me because I'm some narcissistic God who wants more followers and anything, anybody, all the other gods out there. 
He's not trying to stop you from finding other sources of life. He's trying to stop you from choosing death. So he says, love me. And it's not that we loved God first, but he loved us. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our God is not impersonal. He's not aloof. He's more interested in a loving relationship with you than anything else in the world. He's not looking at all the different religions in the world and saying, I like Christians the best to hell with the rest of you. He's looking at all of humanity, every nation on earth, who is wicked compared to his holiness. And he offers us a pardon. He offers to take our place. When Jesus says he's the only way, the only truth, the only life, he's not trying to restrict you. He's not giving you bad news. The only bad news is there's no one else that loves you like that. There's no one else coming to die for you. God is wooing all of humanity to himself. But we all have a choice to receive his love and live in relationship with him or to reject him. He wants every person in every place to find him. So it says in Romans chapter 1, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities and his eternal power has been seen in what he has created so that no one is with excuse. No one's got an excuse for not knowing that there's a God out there who's wooing them to himself. Then he's given us the spirit to convict the world of sin. The Spirit actually has is, is been sent. Jesus says, better that I go away so my Spirit can come and convict the world of sin and bring them into a place of righteousness in Christ. We don't have anything to do with creation or conviction. But there's another important part of people coming to discover that they can know God. And it's simply conversation. That's the part we get to play. We can talk to people and point them to Jesus. Let me just read the way that uh, Paul did that in uh, Athens a long time ago. It says, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man... He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. 
For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. A lot of things have changed in 2,000 years since Paul had that conversation in the Areopagus in Athens. There's some things that haven't changed. We live in a city full of gods, city full of people searching for something, searching to find meaning and satisfaction and truth, forgiveness and redemption in something. And God has placed them there. God has placed them there hoping that they would reach out to him and seek him and find him. Because he wants every person to know his love and forgiveness. And he's placed you there. He's placed you there to have a conversation with people that are seeking something, seeking God. He's placed you there to point them to Jesus, just like Paul pointed them to Jesus 2,000 years ago. And the gospel began to spread through Rome. We, we had nothing to do with God being seen through creation. We got nothing to do. And we got to let, this isn't the church's role. This is God's role to convict the world of sin. But what we can do is we can have conversations about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. I just want to encourage you today. There are people all around you who are seeking God. They might not know it's the God who created them that they're seeking. But they're waiting for someone to point them to Jesus and to discover that God's not very far from them. Can we close our eyes, bow our heads this morning? If you're here in the room or online and you kind of know about God, maybe you thought Christianity was all about a list of rules or principles that you had to kind of adhere to until you got to heaven. And you're here today or you're online today and you say, I actually don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus where I follow him every day. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Know the forgiveness of your sins to walk every day in personal relationship with Him. It starts with repentance. It starts with turning away from just living my own life and turning to God, putting my faith in Jesus. I just want to pray a prayer with you today that begins that journey. It's not the end of the journey, but it begins that journey. And so if you're online, there's a button you can press that just says, I'm I'm raising my hand. I'm praying that prayer today. And if you're here in the room today, I want to encourage you to do that literally, just to raise your hand and say, I want Jesus to forgive me and I want to begin a personal relationship with God every day. 
If that's your prayer today, can I just get you just to raise your hand just for a moment, just so I can see it, just so I know who's praying that prayer with me. Bless you. Down the front. Awesome. Who else today? Just stick your hand up just for a minute. Bless you up the back. If you're online, just, just click that button. Any, anybody else? That's cool. You can put your hand down now. Any, anybody else today? Just that's your prayer. Cool. If that's you today, whether you're online or in the room, would you just pray with me? Father God, thank you for always loving me. I'm sorry for the way that I've sinned against you. I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place. Today I choose to repent of my sin and ask forgiveness. Today I choose to follow Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And I pray in his name. Amen. Hey, can we put our hands together and just celebrate uh, with those that prayed that prayer today? If that was you, if you're online, can you just let someone know in the chat? We'd love to connect with you. If you're here in the room, can I encourage you, uh, head to our uh, welcome desk today. We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love to help you get started in uh, following Jesus today. I just want to pray for one more group of people before we sing a final song, which just declares what we've just talked about. In Christ alone, my hope is found. If you're here today and you just say, God, Give me confidence and courage to have a conversation about Jesus with someone around me. Give me confidence and courage to have a conversation about Jesus with someone around me. It might be someone you've been praying for for a long time. It might be someone in your workplace you've uh, just been uh, thinking about in the last half an hour. You say, God, I want confidence and courage to have a conversation about Jesus. I just want you to stand where you are right now. I'm going to pray for you. Just stand wherever you are right now. Confidence and courage to have a conversation about Jesus. I'm not going to get you to do anything funny other than put your hands out and just receive prayer. Today you want confidence and courage to have a conversation about Jesus. I reckon there's some more of you. You say, I'm not an evangelist. Get that out of your head. It's just conversation about Jesus. Who else today? Confidence and courage. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to you, to the Father, but by you. Thank you for making a way. Thank you. It might be a narrow way, but Jesus, thank you for making a way. God, I pray that you would put a deep confidence in our hearts this morning, in the hearts of those standing right now, a deep confidence in what you have done for us, that you truly are the way, the truth and the life. And God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you come and you give us courage courage to overcome the fear of man, courage to overcome our own insecurities, courage to overcome, you know, just, you know, and that thought that we don't have the right words to say. God, give us courage to say what we do know about you, Lord Jesus, and leave the rest up to you. And God, we pray for more. 
We pray for more people standing in that baptistry as they declare their faith in you. God, I pray that those standing here this morning would have that joy because they have a conversation with someone about Jesus and it transforms their lives forever. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's stand together, people. Let's all stand together. Sing these old words in Christ alone. My hope is found. I hope somewhere in the midst of what I tried to unpack for us this morning, that God has put some confidence in your hearts about your faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. Let's declare it together. Let's worship Him. Let's declare together, my hope is found. My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter.
distance or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand here in the power of Christ I'll stand and we're gonna get our prayer team pastor team down the front here as we finish the service I just feel like as we're singing that song some of you are taking hold of those words some of you are taking hold of that that peace and that strength in Christ to stand firm. I don't know what's shaking you. I don't know what's rocking your world right now. I know that Jesus has the peace and the strength that you need to stand firm. Can I just encourage you today? If there's there's some turmoil in your heart, if there's some trouble in your heart, now Jesus says to his disciples and they're in turmoil, says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I just believe he wants to say that to some of us here this morning. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. Trust in me. Trust in me. I have the peace that you need. I have the strength that you need. This got this burden. Some of you need to kind of be a little bit vulnerable this morning and just release that trouble that's in your heart. Let someone pray for you. Can we, it's, can we just sing that, uh, whatever you call that, refrain again? I find my hope, I find my peace. If that's you this morning, just come and receive. Just know, I just know there's a breakthrough for some of you. It's going to take some humility. It's going to take some vulnerability. It's going to take some unloading of the troubles that are in your heart. Letting Christ give you peace, hope, strength. Maybe you got someone in your pews. God's just put on your heart this morning. You just need to pray for them. Just do that because we're just going to sing for just another minute or two. But just maybe there's someone you're next to, you just need to put, you know what's going on. Just put a hand on their shoulder, begin to pray for them. If you need someone to pray for you this morning, come on, just come. Be a little bit vulnerable. Be humble. Let someone just pray that God would give you peace, strength, hope this morning. Come on.
compassion and hope. God, as people have got a hand on their shoulder this morning, would they feel your hand with them, your hand of comfort and your hand of compassion? God, would you infuse hope into the pain this morning, hope and strength to persevere and to hang on? God, come by your Spirit. Come, bring hope. Bring strength. In Jesus' name. Pray for someone this morning. It's one of the gifts of being a church family. Pray for someone. You might not know what to pray until you put your hand on their shoulder and just pray for them. Pray a blessing over them. God bless. Enjoy. Enjoy a long weekend. See you next Sunday. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.